I think it's safe to say that so far in 2022, virtually every equity investor has felt some pain, some more than others, but everybody with all the major indices being down has suffered somewhat along in this ride. What I'm seeing out there right now presents an opportunity. And I'm not talking about a buy the dip opportunity, although that exists. I'm not talking about the dollar cost averaging down, lowering that cost base. That exists too. But the opportunity that is staring us right in the face right now is this opportunity to go back and revisit investing fundamentals, revisiting what it means to build a proper portfolio in the first place. This will apply whether you're a 20 year old just starting out, whether you're a 60 year old in retirement and drawing income, or maybe you're one of those investors who's a little bit afraid to get into the market. When we look at blue chip investing, when we look at that core holdings in a portfolio, it is truly the way that we build wealth over time. And if we just keep it simple, if we stay with blue chip investments, there's rarely been a time where it's more evident than we're seeing right now that this is such an important part of a portfolio. Full disclosure here, I'm a believer that virtually all investment portfolios should have some blue chip investments in them. I don't care whether you're a younger person, like I say, whether you're an older person, uh, what your risk tolerance is, virtually every equity portfolio does need a component of these uh, good solid companies in them, I believe. If you accept this concept that we do need these good blue chip holdings inside of your portfolio, it's important to understand the characteristics that we would look for to determine what types of companies would fit uh, fit into this part of our portfolio. There are a lot of different characteristics, but I'm gonna cover off a few of them here just to sort of give you a sense of when you're doing your due diligence, when you're looking at qualities of companies, the things that you're gonna to wanna to look for. So there's a few things. You need companies, first of all, I think that don't need a ton of maintenance. And when you're managing an investment portfolio, whether you're doing individual securities, or even quite frankly, if you're uh, looking at ETFs to, to form the equity part of your portfolio, you don't really want a whole bunch of holdings that are changing all the time. So maybe very, very early in their lifespan as a company and constantly evolving in new products to have these blue chip companies that have been doing what they've been doing for years and, and selling the same product over and over just you know with new and improved coming along from time to time, that's really a hallmark of a blue chip company. They also have the ability to survive in virtually all market conditions. And you know, we're going through a rough time right now. And in fact, there's a lot of talk that we may be still going into a recession if we're not there now. When we go through times like this, some of these companies that have been around for a long time will weather those storms quite nicely. Now you contrast that to a lot of the newer companies, a lot of the smaller companies. Well, we're already seeing in certain spaces where companies just aren't going to survive. And you know, I think specifically right now, we look at the crypto space, which was just the place to be a year or so ago. And there's companies that are already going out of business. They're declaring bankruptcy. Uh, and so that's obviously if you're relying on income or if you're relying on your investments uh, to fund your, your retirement especially, but to grow your portfolio, that's something that you don't want uh, to be exposed to overly. You want companies that have been around in most cases for decades and that's what you're gonna find with a lot of these blue chip companies. You're also looking for companies that have a reasonable level, a reasonable amount of volatility and all equity investments are going to go up and down. You just wanna make sure that you are not going up and down too much. Often when these companies go down, you know, if they're not solid enough, they don't come back up. I'm going to look at a chart here that compares the volatility between growth oriented stocks and value oriented stocks. And this is sort of an endless, timeless debate as to should you be growth, should you be value? I mean, I'm an advocate of both, but not everybody feels that way. But looking back at the chart here, this is the Vanguard growth ETF compared to the S&P 500. The blue line is the Vanguard value ETF, again, compared to the S&P 500. On this measurement of beta, it tells you how much volatility a particular investment will have 
in relation to an index. And in this case, I'm looking at the S&P 500. The green dotted line in the middle is the S&P 500 itself. So it will have a beta of one to itself. The orange line is the growth index. And we can see right now it's trading at a beta of about 1.3. So it's 30% more volatile than the S&P 500 according to the numbers right here. If we look at the blue line, which is the value basket of funds, we can see it currently is trading with a volatility of 70% compared to the S&P 500. A key here is when you look at the longer term, that orange line is usually going to trade at a volatility level higher than the S&P 500. The value oriented funds will usually trade at a level of volatility that is lower than the S&P 500. Another way we can look at this is to compare large companies versus small companies. And when we look at this next chart, the blue line is the Vanguard small cap ETF compared to the S&P 500. The orange line is the Vanguard large cap ETF. And it's very evident when we look at it from this perspective here, the blue line, anything above that green dotted line means that it is more volatile than the S&P 500. Anything below that means it is less volatile. And if we look back over time here, we can see the, the slow and steadiness of the orange line or of those blue chip companies compared to the rather rocky roller coaster type road of the blue line, which represents the smaller companies that are available out there. I have done a video, if you're interested in learning more about beta, and it really is an important metric to understand if you're gonna be managing a portfolio, I will put a link in this video where you can go back and look at that in some more detail. But let's move on to the next major characteristic of a blue chip type company, and that's just simply the profitability of a company. A big characteristic of these types of companies is that they are profitable at almost any time throughout a cycle. And you know the economy moves in waves, it moves up and down, and we're looking for something as this core of the portfolio that provides stable earnings. And when you look at these types of companies, most of them for, like I say, for decades, have been providing this type of earnings, revenues that are consistent, that are reliable. And if we look at this next chart here, I've just randomly taken four of the larger companies out there that we would consider to be blue chip companies. This chart tracks the gross profits for each of these companies. And key here, we can see that even when the COVID crisis hit, so in early 2021, we can see although three of these companies did in fact dip in profits, they basically still remained profitable. And that's really important that they are able to sustain that, to sustain confidence in the company. And you can see also that they've all recovered nicely back to profitability coming out of the COVID crisis. The next feature that all large cap blue chip companies will have is, well, as the name implies, size. And in this case, size really truly does matter. I think what we're seeing right now as we're going through this sort of recessionary times or you know, going into our recession right now, as we navigate through these tough markets, we're seeing the value of having larger companies. And some of the smaller companies out there that are newer are really at risk of failing. And as I mentioned earlier, we already started to see some of that. If you have a large market cap, if you're well capitalized, you have advantages over your competitors. And we're gonna talk about a few of those here right now. The number one thing I'll talk about is just what's called economies of scale. And the best example, or a good example I can think of here is a company like Costco. And generally speaking, when you buy things at Costco, you're buying them there because you're gonna find a price point that is lower than if you went into a lot of its competitors. So why do they have these lower prices? And why are they able to offer this price point below their competitors? One of the big things is this economies of scale where they can go out and they can buy massive quantities of whatever product 
they're buying. And this is another way that gives them an advantage of competing against the smaller entities out there, the smaller competitors. When they can go into a supplier, they can go into a manufacturer and they can guarantee we're going to buy a huge mass that we're going to distribute amongst our warehouses. Obviously, they can negotiate a better price and they can then take that and pass it down to the consumer. This is an advantage that a blue chip company has um, over some of its smaller competitors. Another advantage is strategic assets that have been accumulated over the years or in many cases over the decades. I'm talking about what could be physical assets. So if you look at McDonald's as an example, they have some of the prime real estate across, well, any country that they operate in. This is something that they've been able to accumulate, uh, accumulate as they've achieved this uh, blue chip status. Another thing you might think of is things like um, deals with particular suppliers that they have. So they, they all have probably stronger negotiating power. And I think of a company like Unilever or any other company that uh, has this status and they put products into the shelves or onto the shelves of where we buy our things. They're basically better able to negotiate the placement of their products on the shelves in the big grocery stores, for example. So when you're shopping, you're seeing their products first. That is an advantage that they would have over a smaller, you know, up and coming company. Another intangible benefit would just be simply, I would call it brand recognition. And almost by default, consumers tend to move towards names that we recognize, towards products that we feel comfortable with. And many of these blue chip companies represent the actual markets that they're in. Their names, their brands, their logos are synonymous with the product or the service that they're supplying. And if we look here at the best global brands in 2021, you're gonna see a bunch of logos, a bunch of companies that you recognize. And when you see them, you immediately, your mind goes to, again, the product or the service that they're offering. So having that as an advantage to a blue chip portfolio is important as well. Also, I know a lot of the viewers on our channel are dividend investors. And especially, for example, if you're in retirement, you may be relying on the dividend stream that comes into your portfolio to fund your income. Well, a lot of blue chip companies are dividend payers and a lot of them have been paying dividends for years and years. And in fact, many for decades. When you look at the issue of dividends, you think of things like payout ratios, where basically it's the percentage of earnings that get paid out um, to the to the shareholders. And um, if you have a very comfortable, say 30%, 40%, 50% payout ratio, you have the staying power when the times get rough to continue paying those dividends versus some companies that have less of a buffer in there, they may have to suspend or reduce dividends during those times. Uh, again, if you're relying on uh, those dividends for income, having that uh, dependability is really, really important. Lastly on dividends, growing the dividends. And it's really important as an investor. I mean, I invest in a lot of companies that do pay dividends. And I really love the fact that typically year after year after year, they grow those dividends. So it's like having an inflation hedge, an inflation protection in your portfolio itself. I want to share sort of a personal anecdote with you here as well. Having spent so many years working as an advisor with clients, one of the things that really sticks out at me, it really resonates with me now that I can look back, is the peace of mind that so many people got from holding these blue chip types of companies where they knew year after year they're going to perform for them. And I think back to the chart I showed earlier in this video with the large cap versus small cap and the different levels of volatility that you can expect there. Um, this is something that you may be looking for and I think should be part of every portfolio. I loved the fact that I would have clients who would go on vacations for weeks or in some cases even for months. When we debriefed, when they came back from their holidays, I loved it when they would say something like, you know, I never even thought about my investments when I was gone. You know, we tend to 
track things. We tend to follow things. And to think that my clients would be able to go away on vacation for a long period of time and really not even worry about their holdings. Uh, to me, that was comforting. And I, I, again, I mean, I'm, I'm much like that. I probably check my portfolio a lot less than most people think I probably would. I just feel comfortable that I own good solid assets that are gonna be there for me um, when I need them. I would like to transition now and look specifically at an ETF that has a lot of the characteristics that we've just been talking about here today. And I also would like to thank the sponsor for today's video, which is Harvest ETFs. I'm gonna be using one of their funds to demonstrate the characteristics of a well-designed blue chip exchange traded fund. And specifically, I'm gonna be looking at the Harvest Brand Leaders Plus Income ETF. The ticker on this is HBF. You can find this on the Toronto Stock Exchange. The fund has been around since 2014, has about $400 million in assets, a couple of key features. The fund has monthly distributions and it has a yield currently of 8.25%. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about this yield in just a moment here because it is very, very attractive. The fund is designed for investors who are looking for an ETF, which is chosen from the top 100 brands in the world. It provides consistent monthly income, it also has an opportunity for growth, and as part of that, it has an active covered call strategy. This fund is rated as a medium investment, which is suitable for a lot of investors out there, and it is available in a hedged version, it is available in an unhedged version, or a US dollar version. A lot of you may be wondering, well, how does this affect me? Which one should I own? Let's take a quick look at that now. If we look at the hedged version, so this is the HBF we've been talking about here so far, we can see the one year return of minus 17.9 on here. Now that is in line with the S&P 500, which when you look at the types of investments that are held here, that would make a lot of sense. Now HBF is the hedged version. So it strips the currency fluctuation between the US dollar and the Canadian dollar out of the equation. If we look at a chart now that includes HBFB, which is the unhedged version of this fund, we will see that instead of being down 17% roughly over the year, the fund is down about 6.5%. So why is that? What is the difference? Well, this next chart will kind of show us what we're looking at there. I'm gonna put the US dollar versus the Canadian dollar on here over the last year. And as we can see by the green line, the US dollar has strengthened about 10% versus the Canadian dollar. And although it won't be exactly one-to-one, that's the reason that the hedged version will track the US index, whereas the unhedged version will not. Now, that can work in your favor, as it will have done so far this year. If the US dollar is strengthening, it can work against you. It's important to be aware of that. Now, if you wanna hone up on the difference between hedged and unhedged ETFs, uh, check out this link right here, which shows you in great detail um, how funds use those hedging strategies um, and how that might be applicable um, in your portfolio management as well. Three of the main objectives of this fund, uh, monthly cash distributions, the opportunity for capital appreciation, and lower overall volatility of the portfolio than you would get if you had the individual securities all by themselves. And this is a place where that covered call strategy can come into play where it can actually lower the volatility of a fund, uh, particularly in negative markets. The fund will rebalance on a quarterly basis. They're looking for characteristics such as value with an average price to earnings ratio lower than the broader index. They're looking for an average yield that is greater, again, than the broader index. This is, again, where the covered call strategy can come into play. And for quality, an average five-year return on growth that is greater than the average of the entire universe itself. When it comes to volatility, we can revisit a chart that I showed earlier, which is the growth versus value beta measurement. And again, we saw the higher beta 
the higher volatility with the growth stocks. When we overlay the HBF ETF on this, we can see that it has a volatility level much closer to the value end of that spectrum. When we look at the specific holdings in this fund, we will see pretty much everything across the board here, household names. It's 20 equal weighted companies of all of these big multinational companies. When we look at the actual breakdown of the sectors, a knock on this type of investing previously has been that these companies are boring. But when you look at the sectors here, we see about a quarter of the fund currently is invested in the IT space. Certainly not a portfolio full of boring names. From a performance perspective, I wanna look at two different measurements. I wanna look at price return, and I wanna look at total return. And if you look back at this fund since inception, the blue line here shows the NAV, the net asset value of the fund. When you factor in the distributions, you can see the benefit of having that covered call strategy where you see that gold line, where you see the difference between the asset itself and the accumulation of distributions. On an annual basis, you can see here Again, since inception, how the fund has performed. If you look at it in 2022 on a year-to-day -day basis versus the S&P 500, we see that they are basically running in lockstep. This is one of Harvest Funds. Now, what would you do if you wanted to build a portfolio of ETFs? Check out this video right here, and that'll show you how to do that. Thank you so much for watching the video. I look forward to seeing you in the next video.